Amen. Now open your uh, Bibles. We're going to be in John 18 this morning. We're going to pick up with where we left off last week. And as you're turning there, I will remind you once again, as we have pointed out over the last year and a half now, as we've been going through John's gospel, that John wrote this gospel so that Hopefully some of you are starting to to run through that in your mind. We know why John wrote this gospel, so that we may see and believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And that by believing that, we would have life in his name. Last week we began studying Jesus' civil trial before Pilate after the Jewish religious leaders had finished their trial. In those proceedings in that religious trial, Blake pointed us to the hypocrisy of the Jews. If you recall, they didn't go into the, uh, the governor Pilate's headquarters, right? Because they didn't want to defile themselves. Now, first of all, that wasn't even a part of God's law, not to enter into a Gentile's home or their dwelling. That was a Pharisaic law. The Pharisaic Pharisaic law was built upon to try to protect the integrity of God's law. See, what God's law said is, don't come into a dead body. And so the the belief, the Jewish belief, was because Gentiles commonly, uh, frequently aborted babies and left them in their homes. That if you went into a Gentile home, you might come into contact with a dead body, and so you would become unclean. So the Pharisees said, okay, we've got to develop a law around that. So don't go into the, the home of a Gentile. So the Pharisees are worried about that, right? The Jews were worried about that, but at the same time, as Blake pointed out, you know, God's law does address murder. And they were pursuing the murder of an innocent man. We also saw that Christ was in complete control of all of those proceedings, Right? I mean, he purposely went across the Kidron Valley to a place where he would be betrayed, that Judas knew about. So he went there knowing Judas is going to come here and he's going to find me here. He prevented people from defending him and allowed himself to be arrested. And he showed that power whenever he told them and said the words, I am. And you remember... They all fell down. They fell to the ground. As he revealed his glory, their their response was falling. He was in complete control. In that religious trial that we studied last week, the righteousness, the, the sovereignty of God was on display. And it was done so in a contrast with the sinfulness of man. And so John, writing this, accomplished his purpose, right? We see the contrast with man, and we see Jesus Christ lifted up, magnified as the Son of God. That's his purpose. And we're going to see that again this morning in the, in the civil trial before Pilate. We will see the stark contrast between the deity of Jesus Christ and the humanity of Pilate. He's a man, and Jesus is God in the flesh. This civil trial will play out in three sections, 
The first one being the interrogation. In John chapter 18, verses 33 through 38, if you'll read along with me. So Pilate entered his, his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. After Pilate's failed attempt to place the responsibility of this whole situation on the Jews, he enters his headquarters again. He begins the interrogation, right? See, when he had started with the Jews, he needed an accusation. What charge do you have against this man that you bring him to me? When he says, are you the king of the Jews, this is explained when you look at Luke 23 in Luke's account. Luke chapter 23, verses 1 through 2 Luke wrote, Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. The Jews lied, didn't they? I mean, we know, we've seen in Scripture... When it, when it came to that temple tax, what did Jesus say? Did he say, don't give tribute to Caesar? He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He was not preventing them from doing that. This was an, a false accusation. And they're doing this in a way, because what they want is for Pilate to handle this, this death, this, this crucifixion. Because Passover is coming, they want Jesus dead by the end of the night, by sundown. And they can't participate in that because if they do, they would defile themselves. They would not be able to participate in the Passover. So they bring him to Pilate, a Gentile, so that he would do it. But Pilate's not concerned with blasphemy of the Jewish law. He's not concerned with a guy who's saying that he is the Son of God. So they make up a false accusation. He's trying to take over. He's declaring himself as king. He's trying to turn people away from Caesar. This is why you should kill him. This is the charge. So when Pilate asked that question, are you the king of the Jews? He's really asking him, do you plead guilty or not guilty to this accusation, this charge? He wants to know if Jesus is a threat to the Roman government. Jesus' uh, 
uh, question followed by Pilate's, Pilate's reply solidifies that in verses 34 through 35, Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? When Jesus says, are you saying this of your own accord? What he's asking him is, are you asking this question from the, the idea that I might be trying to lead people away from Caesar, that I would be trying to cause an uprising, a revolution? Are you asking that question, or are you asking me something that would have come from the Jews? How do you intend for that question to be answered? Because I will answer it as you say, and of course, Pilate's like, look, I'm not a Jew. I don't care about all this other stuff that's going on. Am I a Jew? Your people have brought you to me. What did you do? So verse 36, Peter, I mean, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. So he answers him, understanding that he's asking from a political perspective. Pilate, I get, I get it now. You don't care about all this Jewish law-breaking that they're saying I'm doing. What you're concerned with is, am I trying to lead a revolution to defeat Rome? Look, my kingdom is not of this world. That's not what I'm trying to do. Look at the evidence, Pilate. If my kingdom were of this world, do you really think that I wouldn't have an army of people coming to fight on my behalf to defend me, to keep me from being handed over? Look at the evidence. That's not what's going on here. And then he says in verse 37, after Pilate expresses his confusion, like, wait, so you are, you are a king? Are you or are you not? And Jesus says, you say that I am a king. You say rightly. If you're looking in, a, in the New American Standard, your, your translation may say, you say rightly that I am a king. And he says, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Notice the language that's used there by John, by Jesus. For this purpose I was born. Born of a woman. Displaying the humanity of Jesus Christ. And for this reason, I have come into the world. Looking at the pre-existence of Christ, when we go all the way back to John chapter 1, right? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God in the beginning. He was pre-existent. And now He has come into the world. For this reason, I was born. And for this reason, I have come into the world. What is that purpose? To bear witness to the truth. His mission, his purpose, was not political. It was spiritual. He came to bear witness to the truth. The truth about God, the truth about man, the truth about sin and the judgment of sin, the truth about love, the truth about holiness and righteousness, the truth about redemption. And the question that the Jews had to answer in that day and that Pilate is having to deal with right now is the same one that all of us have to deal with. What do we do with that truth? How do we respond to that truth? 
Because what we do to that, with that testimony of truth determines the, the, our eternal destiny. Jesus told Pilate that everyone who is of the truth listens to his voice. These people of the truth are the same people described in John chapter 14 as the sheep. The sheep who hear his voice as the good shepherd. They hear his voice and they know him and they follow him. It's an implied invitation to Pilate. My sheep hear me. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. How does Pilate respond? Does he hear? Does he know? Does he follow? No. Instead, he responds with an irritated attitude displayed in the question, what is truth? Now, I could deviate here and go into this idea of of postmodern thought where there is no such thing as absolute truth and truth is relative and what's true for you is true for you, but it, it doesn't have to be true for me. But I don't think that's what the question was here. I, I think that what, that idea was present in this day because it is nothing new. We deal with it in our day, but I, it's not a new concept. I really think he just wants to get down to the bottom of this and get the situation dealt with. He's aggravated. What is truth? I don't even know right now. I just want to get this done. So he's frustrated with the mere fact that he has to deal with this whole situation, caught in the middle of a dispute between the Jews, and he has no understanding of what's really going on. So he decides that he has enough evidence to provide a sound judgment. He walks outside to to deliver that news. Not guilty. I love the fact that John records this. This is... One of many times where Pilate says, he's not guilty, he's not guilty, he's not guilty. Because when I was thinking about this, you know, so often we like to, we like to put ourselves in Scripture on like the, the good side. We're either the hero in the, in the story or we're at least siding with the side of the hero. But the truth is, had we been placed on trial that day, we would have been found guilty. Because we would have either violated God's law or violated some Roman I mean, how many of you speed? You're violating the law of the United States of America. Your state government has put these things into place and you break them. You're guilty. We all are. This week we went over the Ten Commandments with our youth, our student ministry, because it it tied in with what Paul was talking about in his letter to Timothy, saying that the law is a good thing because it points us to the fact that we are sinners. We would have been found guilty. What I love about this, this is our Christ. He was hated. He was persecuted. He was falsely accused, but yet he stands perfect. Innocent. Not guilty. And because of that, as we look in the, in the next week or so, when we're going into the crucifixion of Christ, he can go through that and satisfy the eternal judgment of God. The one that all of us deserve. Because we are guilty. And the wages of sin is death. But because he is perfect, spotless, 
He is the Lamb of God who took our place on the cross, who paid the punishment, who paid the price to buy us back from the bondage of sin. I love that. Not guilty. The next section is a little gruesome. Having gone through the interrogation and come up with the initial conclusion that he's not guilty, Pilate still has a situation on his hands. He's got these people outside his headquarters, and now the crowd is starting to grow because they know something's going on, so he has to do something. He is responsible for keeping order. And so he tortures Christ. I think it's a combination of things here. Number one, he knows this, was, this would have been done to try to get information out of somebody, right? Maybe he's trying to get a confession. If he did do anything, we need to know, let's torture him, let's beat it out of him. That was common practice. The other thing is, maybe I can appease this Jewish crowd. If they see that I've beaten, I've beaten him, I've tortured him, maybe they'll leave this alone and move on. John chapter 18, verses, verse 39, we'll read through chapter 19, verse 8. After saying, I find no guilt in him, speaking to the Jews, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. See, from Pilate's perspective, he thinks he can rid himself of this small dispute by offering up the release of Jesus, as was customary. One would be released as a goodwill gesture to the Jews at Passover. You notice in his offer, he can't resist making fun of them, mocking them, using the name that they, that they hate to hear Jesus called, the King of the Jews. And this backfires on him. He didn't see this coming. The Jewish leaders had worked up the crowd, and they cry out a very shocking response, No. Not this man, but Barabbas. And John notes that Barabbas was a thief. 
He was a murderer. He was a true insurrectionist. He was a true revolutionary. He was one that actually tried to cause a riot and lead Jews to take over Roman rule. The same crowd that days earlier welcomed Jesus with cries of Hosanna, save us now, Lord, have now turned away from him because he doesn't fit their idea of a savior. It doesn't look like he's going to be able to deliver them from Roman oppression, but maybe Barabbas can. So give us the criminal and keep the innocent Son of God. This is the effect of sin in the heart of man. And let us not be fooled. We make that decision daily. And I'm not talking about the times where we sin and we realize it later. Oh man, I didn't realize I was sinning. I'm talking about the times where you have the righteousness of Christ and sin right in front of you, and we choose sin. We do this. We choose sin over Christ on a daily basis. That song we sang this morning, we're talking about victory and how how the grave has been robbed. We want to celebrate that, but before we get there, we need to realize the gravity of the situation that happened before then, that we were just like the Jews, that we are the ones choosing sin over Christ, that we are the ones rejecting Him. If not for the grace of God opening up our eyes, allowing us to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, being able to respond back to Him, if not for that, we're in the same place as a pilot, as a as a Caiaphas. So Pilate, realizing that he is running out of options and has the makings of a riot on his hands, makes one last desperate attempt to appease this crowd. He orders his men to torture Jesus. My ESV says that he had him flogged. You may see a word in yours that says scorched. This was a very uh, brutal form of torture. Jesus would be stripped, bound to a post, and beaten by several torturers. The Jewish law restricted this beating to 40 lashes. As I've already mentioned, Pharisees, they developed laws to protect that, so they limited it to 39 lashes in case somebody lost count. But the Roman law had no restriction. This torture would not stop until either the torturers got tired, the officer would call it off, or the prisoner would die. They would beat him with these weapons of torture. It was, you would have had a wooden handle, strips of leather attached to that wooden handle. But it wasn't like a whip that would, that would cut through the flesh. 
At the end of, this, of these strands of leather, you would have bone fragments and sharp metal. And they would beat them. And because of those bone fragments and the sharp metal, it would stick in his flesh, and then they would rip it out. They would do this over and over and over again, and then hand it to their buddy when they got tired so that he could do the same thing. After this beating, Jesus would hardly be recognized completely mutilated. Even those who knew him closely would not be able to recognize his face. Not only did they beat him, but they mocked him. They took a crown of thorns and they pressed it down into his scalp to where blood would pour out. They dressed him in a purple robe to mock him as a king. They mocked him verbally, yelling, Hail, King of the Jews, while laughing in his face, spitting in his face. And then it says, striking him in his face. After this torture, they bring him back to Pilate, completely torn apart. Understand that there would possibly be organs and bones fully exposed after this. Barely alive. Pilate looks approvingly, thinks this will satisfy the bloodthirsty crowd, so he goes out and once again declares to him, see, I'm bringing him out to you because I want you to see I find no guilt in him. But here he is. He has not confessed to anything, even after torture. He's innocent. Jesus comes out dressed as the king crown of thorns, purple robe. But this does not satisfy the chief priests. They stir up the crowd to cry out, crucify him. You see, according to the Jewish law, because of what he's done, blasphemy, making himself the son of God, he would deserve death by stoning. But Roman law, he must be lifted up. Do you remember what Jesus said earlier on in John's Gospel? The Son of Man must be lifted up. God is in control of all of this. Pilate again declares Jesus innocent and tells the Jews, kill him yourselves. I don't want any part of this. And then in verse 7, you finally hear the true accusation, the true charge from the Jews. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die. Why? Because he has made himself the Son of God. This is why. Not because he's trying to be a revolutionary. Not trying to overthrow the Roman government. That's not why. Because he's a blasphemer. He deserves to die, based on our law. When Pilate hears those words that he has made himself the Son of God, it says his fear increased. Now, probably referring to the fact, likely, that he's realizing now this problem is not going to go away. Now it's, it's, it's real. This is something that's not just going to, I'm going to have to do something now. 
But it could also be the fact that he's superstitious. And when he hears that this man may be a son of God, and he starts thinking about the fact that I just had this guy tortured, and he may have divine powers. Add on to that what we don't see in John's account is that his wife had a bad dream about this and went to him and said, look, I've had a dream about this righteous man. You should have nothing to do with him. And it it looks like he kind of ignored that, that ah, it's not a big deal, this is going to be handled. And now maybe that thought is starting to come back into his mind, and he's thinking, what, what's going on here? This is bigger than what I thought it was. So his fear increased. In contrast to that, what do we see about Christ? Pilate is a man. He's anxious. He's worried about the way things are going to play out, yet Jesus is here resolved. Now, I'm not saying he's got a smile on his face. This isn't something that he would have desired. You remember, he he asked the Father, if any other way, let this cup pass from me. But then you see Jesus revealing his deity, nevertheless, not my will, Father, but your will be done. For the joy set before him, Jesus endures this. This is the glory of our Christ. Going back to John 1.14, glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. He is not just a man, but he is God come in the flesh. He displayed divine character, even more so in the next dialogue with Pilate as we lead up to the pronouncement from the judge. John 19 Verses 9 through 16. Pilate entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold, your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Pilate immediately out of that fear, goes into Jesus and asks him, where are you from? Now, he is not asking him, what city are you from? Who's your mama? Who's your daddy? He already knows. We don't see this in John's account, but he already knows he's a Galilean. Because when he found that out, he sent him to Herod. The same Herod that had actually called for the death of John the Baptist. He sent him to him, but when he starts asking Jesus questions, Jesus doesn't answer, so he's like, you know what, I don't have time for this. 
Go back to the guy who sent you to me. So when Pilate asks that question, he's not asking, where are you from? Are you from down the street? It's not about a location. But what he's asking him is, are you from earth or are you from the gods? He's asking him a question about his nature. And Jesus is silent. And that just irritates Pilate even more. Who do you think you are? Don't you realize that I have authority over your life right now? He puts on this display of power. And then you get a bone-chilling response from Jesus. Like I'm just picturing, this is the Son of God. He has been silent this whole time. And then when somebody says, I've got authority over your life, he says, correction. No, you don't. He fulfilled his purpose, right? He is bearing witness to the truth, to the fact that you don't have authority over my life unless it was given to you by the Father. He ultimately has authority. I'm laying my life down, Pilate. See, Pilate tries to act like he's got this authority and responsibility and power, but he's got nothing really backing it up, and you've got the calm resolve of the Son of God in his presence, and he's just like, nope, stop there. Because I'm in control. What's interesting that I thought about when I was studying this is nothing happens outside of the will of God. Nothing. Not even the death of Jesus Christ happens outside of the will of God. And that's a difficult idea to accept. And we just had this huge flood in Houston. Are you telling me, David, that that's according to the will of God? And yeah, that's difficult for me to stand before you and say, yes, there were people who lost their homes. There were people who died. Yes, it was according to the will of God because ultimately all things are working out, not for our entertainment, not for our satisfaction, but for his glory. He is revealing himself today in the city of Houston. He is making himself known. That is what the goal is of everything. And all of that ultimately ends up with our joy. For those of us who place our identity in Christ rather than the things of this world, we find joy in that whenever he makes himself known. Everything happens according to the will of God. Pilate was just a means to an end. He hadn't witnessed everything that Jesus had done. Caiaphas, on the other hand, had. He had been in the presence of Jesus when Jesus was performing miracles. He had been in his presence when he was teaching things that people had never heard before, clearing things up from the law, allowing them to understand and perceive what the truth was. Caiaphas saw that. And because he had seen his miracles and heard his teachings and still rejected Christ, Jesus said, His sin is greater than yours, Pilate. He is not excusing Pilate from his actions. But he has seen the evidence even more clearly than you have. His rejection of me is greater than yours. So Pilate continues to try to release Jesus, but the Jews threaten him. 
They drop the name of Caesar. They, tell, they, are, they are implying to him, we're going to go to your superiors and tell them, if you release this man, that you've released one who wants to cause a revolution. And what will happen to you, Pilate? He'll lose his job, for sure. Possibly his life. So Pilate finally caves in. He was spineless. Pilate was. No conviction. No stance on truth. Whatever it takes. I want to protect myself, my self-interest. So he hands Jesus over to be crucified. Read that again in verses 13 through 16. Because what John does here is he slows down now. He's giving his eyewitness account. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. John remembering the place, the day, the time. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. How hypocritical is that? They don't want Caesar as their king. That's not what this is about. They're not pledging allegiance to Caesar. They're doing whatever it takes so that Christ would be punished and that he would die. And so Pilate does just that. He delivers him over to be crucified. When we look at the historical context as we've done this morning, we see Jesus on trial. See a blasphemer. See a revolutionary. See an insurrectionist. When we consider the theological context, however, there was a lot more on trial that day. The deity of Christ was on trial that day. Are you man? Or are you the Son of God? That question that, that Pilate asked in John 19.9, where are you from? That's the question that was being asked that day. Jesus was on trial for that, theologically. For all times and all purposes, that's what we get to see today. Was he man? Or was he God? When you see the, when you see the contrast with Pilate who who seeks satisfaction in his, his position, places his identity in the satisfaction of man and what they think of him, in contrast to Jesus, who though he was persecuted and man did not approve of him, stays true to who he is. The Son of God gives himself as a sacrifice for the sins of man. His deity was on trial that day, and he fulfilled his purpose by bearing witness to the truth of who he was. In Matthew's account, Pilate asked this question. Very early on in these proceedings, he asked, 
Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? What shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? That is the question we should ask ourselves this morning. Because this morning we got to see a picture of Jesus as the Son of God. What are we to do with this man that's called Christ? Will we lay down our life and follow the one who gave his life up for us? Now, that's a very broad statement. But that, that means will we lay down our desires? Will we give up the things that we want in this life? The comfort of having a home, big, nice house, comfort of a retirement fund in the future, the comfort of having just the, the perfect little family. What does that look like? Does that mean we have to uproot and, and move somewhere? Does that mean that, you know what? I don't need that retirement fund because my hope is something greater than that. If that's all I have to look forward to in, in this life, then I'm of most to be pitied. Will we lay down our life and follow the one who gave his up for us? Will we believe in him as the son of God or will we side ourselves with those who rejected him? When faced with the evidence what is the judgment? Will we believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and find life in His name, or will we pursue it, pursue life in other things? As we transition to a time of response, reflecting on what we've seen about Jesus this morning, I want to read to you something from the prophet Isaiah. I couldn't help but think about this when we, when we consider what Jesus is going through in this text and going into next. I couldn't help but think about this passage of Scripture from Isaiah chapter 52. And I'll read through chapter 53. Chapter 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond, beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so that he should startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. <coughs> He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. 
and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors.